Hi, everyone. Everyone watching online and all of our churches. Uh, we're in Genesis chapter 2 today. Uh, last week in Genesis chapter 1, uh, we looked at sort of the large-scale creation, and Genesis chapter 1 has been called the Song of Creation. Today, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 2, and it's going to zoom in and fill in some of the details, especially uh, the surprising statement that man was created in the image of God. Image of God. I think this is... Um, It's not an overstatement to say one of the most powerful ideas in human history. This is what grounds the idea of the sacredness or the irreducible, uh, almost infinite value of every human life. There are vast differences between us, right? Like, I don't know, if you look at somebody next to you, like, like, hey, what's different about us? I don't know. It's a lot of things, right? High school GPA, ouch, don't want to go there. Uh, you know, height, how fast you can run, how high you can jump. Uh, what note you can sing or sing at all. There are vast differences in competitions, capabilities, young and old, rich and poor. Uh, but we all as assert this, that everyone has equal and sacred value. Where does that come from? It's grounded in this idea that every one of us is sacred because we've been created in God's image. And a chapter two that we'll dive into elaborates on this idea. What it means that man was created in God's image Or another way to think about it is, what does it mean to be fully human according to the Bible? So let's read the text. We'll, we'll pick up on verse 7 uh, of chapter 2. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of men. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So what does it mean to be fully human according to this chapter? Number one, uh, dust and spirit, dust and spirit. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils a breath of life, and the man became a living creature. This word breath of life, the word breath is also spirit. So man is formed from the dust of the ground. In other words, we're embodied physical human beings, like physical creatures. And I think that's pretty straightforward, probably doesn't need a lot of comment. We're physical, we're embodied, yes. 
but we are more, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, God breathing his very spirit into man, and the man became a living creature. This word creature, probably better translated as self or soul, as in other translations. Um, so, so what does this mean? It means that man is this curious, dual-natured being. We're physical, so we have physical needs. Uh, example, food. And we fulfill them through relating to nature. We are made to relate physically to nature, and we're made to relate spiritually to God, our Creator. And this capacity uh, of spiritually relating to God has been lost for a lot of people. Uh, but a person can have all their physical needs met. Like you think about it, we can have all of our physical needs met and yet be utterly depressed and discouraged about life. Like, why is that? Or we can have the most fulfilled and happy experience while in the midst of a lot of physical pain. You know, you go to mission trip to some very hot and humid place and maybe the first day you're miserable and yet at the end of a week or two weeks or a month, you say, I can do this forever. I felt the most alive. Clues that we are more than flesh. C.S. Lewis said it like this. Most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never, they never quite keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country or first take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. So, given this dual nature, the modern-day obsession with money, pleasure, with physical comfort is deeply mistaken about our nature. And pursuing these things alone will lead to a half-life. We really need to get connected with what does it mean that I have the Spirit of God in me and to connect spiritually with our Maker. Number two, what does it mean to be fully human? It means to have meaningful work. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Yeah, you wouldn't think the word work would appear in paradise. No, work was part of God's good creation. If rest and leisure is your picture of the ideal life, you're mistaken about your nature. Work is a vital part of what it means to be human, to work, to be productive, to accomplish, to enjoy what you've accomplished. But here's the thing. Genesis chapter 3 will explain in more detail. Work is fallen. It's broken. It's become corrupt. Um, in Genesis chapter 3, it says it this way. By the sweat of your brow will you eat bread, and the ground will produce thorns and thistles. Work is frustrating. Um, it's often an arena of uh, exploitation and competition. But one of the things that happens when you become Christian is that this fallen nature of work, it gets redeemed. And we're given a new mission, truly meaningful work. So in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, and not as a result of works, that, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, in Christ there is good work with your name written on it. 
And it's not about making more money so you can buy more gadgets and experiences that make you more addicted and more anxious and you get to death safely. No, it's because God created you for his good works, which he prepared in advance for you to enter into. And what that means is apart from God, this whole area of meaningful work will always be frustrating. Meaningful work to devote ourselves to. I think this is what we all crave. Jesus said it this way, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. In other words, our labors, our accumulation of treasures really aren't meant for this earth where it all decays, where our grasp of it is ever more waning. We all crave meaningful work and it's because we're made for it. And the word of God says you won't find it apart from God's will for your life. Number three, what does it mean to be fully human? Freedom restrained, freedom restrained. So in verses 16 through 17, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You may, but you shall not. That is, you're free to, but you must not. This passage says, you may eat of every tree in the garden, but there's this one that's forbidden. That one, you must not. I don't know how many of you um, have this experience. Some of you freshmen probably for the first time sleeping in a small room with a total stranger. I remember as a sophomore, my roommate was Mike Graves, I think was his name. And he was a backup center for the Cal football team. So I was a pretty big guy. And, um, you know, hi, Mike, you know, met, met him for the first time. Very large fellow. And I just went to sleep. And what was I saying? I was saying, you may kill me in my sleep, but you must not. I think we all almost expect one another to regulate our freedoms we have the genuine freedom, like to do a whole lot of things, but we don't based on what? Uh, I remember hearing a, a definition of what a gentleman is. Like a gentleman, like, you know, from a previ previous century, like what's a gentleman? A gentleman is somebody who's sort of awesome in every way, you know, strong and disciplined. But here's the definition. It's someone in whose presence a woman can feel totally safe. You're free to, but you must not. Here's a person with great capabilities, restraining all of it to be consistent with the honor code of the day, to give every woman total respect. So we have this freedom. You have freedom. Now what are you going to do with it? I think at the heart of what it means to be human is to manage this freedom, to regulate it well. It gives your actions moral seriousness and dignity. Those who never learn this lesson, I think, remain perpetually immature. They never take responsibility, forever blame circumstances. I think they become eventually embittered and live perpetual lives of perpetual frustration and maybe even anger. Like to bear the responsibility of restraining your freedom according to the boundary set by God's word. That is a definition of spiritual maturity. So why? Why is the forbidden fruit there? You may eat of every tree, but this one you must not. And I think, um, yeah, a lot of people when first encountering this idea feel a little bit like, well, why did he put it there? 
You know, it just seems like a, a little a little bit like a trap. Like, why did God have to put the forbidden fruit there that they would inevitably eat and then, you know, all the, all the chaos that ensues? Well, if you think a little deeply about every relationship, God's relational and he wants to relate with man. At the heart of every meaningful relationship, there is a prohibition that defines it. In other words, a forbidden fruit. Among friends, betrayal is a forbidden fruit. Like you, your friend might be this or that, but if he betrays you, he's no longer a friend. In marriage, it's clearly adultery. Like you can have the sweetest, most serving, nicest, most considerate husband, but if he has an affair, that's it. It's not even like that makes him a bad husband. It, it means the relationship is just no more. It just destroys a relationship because the relationship itself is defined by that boundary. Between man and God then, it's this. Well, it's, it's what? It's this tree. Like, what, what does that mean? Well, it's a tree of knowledge of, of good and evil. So if this is what defines the heart of the, the relationship between God and man, knowledge of good and evil, what could that possibly mean? It means don't take upon yourself the definition of good and evil. That's given to you by God. In other words, God is saying, I will determine good and evil. This is forbidden you. And I think when humans reject this, then chaos ensues. And I think we see it all over our society. Good and evil becomes all relative, relative to my point of view. Every man is his own God, declaring his own notions of good and evil. Every man laying down his own laws and calling out other people and demonizing other people. And it's a war of all against all. God says, I will determine good and evil. That is the domain reserved to the creator. To be fully human then, to really thrive within the boundaries that God laid out for us, is to accept this, that God determines good and evil, and we will flourish only as we align our lives to that. Number four, um, priority of relationships. I look at verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. It is not good that the man should be alone. It's um, the first not good expression. It's, it's quite surprising because throughout the creation account, every time God creates, he, it, we, we hear again and again, it was good. It was good. God saw that it was good. This is the first like, hey, this is not good. Alone. Why is being alone not good? And I think we can come up with any number of reasons. I mean, first of all, like you, you have blind spots. Like you don't see what you don't see about yourself. I think um, we see others pretty well, right? So we look at somebody and we maybe cringe a little bit and say, wow, somebody should tell them. Or you, you look at your friends or your family members. Yeah, they seem to lack self-awareness. There's a lot of things that you can see that they don't see about themselves. And it's only within the context of relationships that those blind spots get revealed. I think um, maybe being under COVID lockdown has made us all experience this kind of, like being alone. It's just not good. It's, and it's almost hard to nail down why it, there's this sort of undercurrent of disorientation. I think one of the things that happens is you kind of, your grasp on reality weakens in a way. Like you have your thoughts and you sort of confirm your thoughts with your own thoughts and um, you lose calibration and yeah, your grip on reality and who you are starts to weaken. No, we're, we're not meant to function alone. 
The Bible tells us we were created for relationships by a God who in his essence is relational. Um, we can't get into that, but it's called the Trinity, the triune God. God is in himself community. And so when he created us in his image, there is a relational longing uh, that is hardwired into every one of us. And you cannot replace human relationships with the things that we try to re replace it with, fame or career or money. And that's why on our deathbeds, we long to have people we love all around, not stuff that we collected. I remember seeing a cartoon in which uh, there was a man dying and he was calling for all of his trophies. And I think the, the, the whole joke of it was like, nobody does that, right? So if you don't succeed in cultivating close relationships, I think it can be safely said that you failed at life, regardless of what you've achieved. You think of a CEO, you know, on his third marriage, all of his children, complete strangers to him. Some, somebody accomplished at the top of his field, but not a friend in the world with whom he could bear his soul. What good is that? So for human beings, life is fundamentally a matter of relationships. But what kind of relationships? And, and here we get um, kind of this curious picture when God says it's not good for men to be alone. Uh, he then brings all of the animals. And a footnote, Adam is able to name all the animals, right? He gives names and that's what uh, the animal's name became. This is the creational activity of God. God calls, God names all throughout Genesis chapter one, as we saw last week. And so here is this uh, implication that there is more creational activity left for man to enter into. And indeed, Adam does. But here is this interesting observation. At the end of chapter 20, uh, verse 20, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Um, interesting that this is noted. And yeah, it's obvious, of course, like Adam's helpmate, Adam's companion can't be an animal, but why not? Um, if it's a matter of just physical uh, beauty, they are beautiful, they're strong, they're swift, but they're not spiritual. Adam is a spiritual being. I think that's why God considers it sinful and tragic when we look, look upon each other as merely flesh. I know that's hard in our hypersexualized world, but as we look at people to, and of course our eyes, what do we see? We see the flesh, we see the form, but I think our whole society has sort of given up trying to look beyond that. And I think that's really tragic because we're not just bodies to be consumed or bodies to be pleased. I think it's the highest disrespect for the image of God in which we have been made to regard ourselves or others in that way. Well, if what it means to be fully human is to really break into uh, deep relationships, um, what, what is the nature of that relationship? And I put that as a separate item, truth and trust, truth and trust. So in our text, we see God brings Eve for Adam in verse 21, and then this this relationship, like what does it look like? It's expressed in this phrase, naked and were not ashamed. Verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. What does this mean? I think it's a description of a relationship of total honesty, total truth, and total trust. Truth and trust. 
In other words, relating to people as you really are. Truth. And of course, that requires trust, to be unafraid of that level of honesty and candor. I think it's what we all genuinely long for, except it's rare. It's rare to find that kind of relationship. I think our typical approach to relationships is actually quite odd if you think about it. Like we want so much to be loved, but our brilliant solution is to try to impress other people, to fool others into believing that we're awesome. And then we feel lonely, whether we're successful in that or not, even if we are successful in that. Because why? We can't feel close to those who we have successfully fooled. Because closeness has to do with genuine knowledge, truth, honesty. But as long as we're not doing that, and it's the dynamic of attraction, it's the dynamic of being image maintenance so that people think nice thoughts about us, then of course that inner doubt never goes away. The inner doubt that says, if you really knew me, maybe you'd reject me. So I can't really trust you and I can't really be who I am. Why are we like this? Why are we like this? Why do we find genuine closeness so difficult? I think it's because deep down inside we know that what the Bible asserts about human nature is true, that we're sinners, that we're sinners. And that self-awareness that we're sinners, that we're corrupt, that we're rotten inside, that we're selfish, that we're envious, that we're competitive toward our best friends, that we wish for the downfall of people who we also say we love, the kind of monstrous appetites inside of us that we barely manage to keep a lid on. I think we're aware of all of these things. And this self-awareness, however dim, creates shame, an undercurrent of shame. It's always sort of there as a background noise. We are, as somebody said, the animal that blushes. So I guess we can't afford to be naked, to be real and true and honest. We're ashamed and therefore masked, guarded and untrusting and therefore in that state of being alone. It's not good for a man to be alone and yet we seem trapped in this. We want to be known. We're afraid to be known. So next week we're going to cover how all of this started uh, and how all of this unraveled as we look at what the Bible calls the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, but for now, I'd like you to take a minute uh, just to consolidate your learnings from this chapter and see what points apply to you personally. So let's take a minute to do that.